want to encourage you today um, to join me in thinking a little more broadly about missions. Let's open our Bibles for a frame of reference to Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13. Because this is a missions conference, I would like to take a closer look at that concept and maybe we can challenge ourselves a little this morning. I would hate for your gas money to go to waste, leave here today, same as you arrived. So um, let's take a look at God's Word together. This afternoon, I want to share with you some principles from the Sermon on the Mount. But in anticipation to that, because of what you have been witnessing in the presentations this morning, and I will probably add a little bit to that uh, here in just a few moments, uh, we may fall into um, a very subtle error in our thinking. And I want to address that fact. Uh, you've heard the story about the mermaids. It's not, uh, it's very easy to, to, to laugh at that and go, well, you know, that's, that's silly. Anybody can tell that there aren't any mermaids or anybody can tell that there aren't any real uh, apparitions in, in, the, in the jungle. Um, but the most dangerous of error, the most dangerous untruth, is it not the one that most looks like the truth, as with counterfeit bills? I have a friend down in Marietta, Georgia, who in his middle-aged crisis turned to sharpshooting as his hobby and visiting him a few weeks ago, he was explaining to me the intricacies of his sport and of his hobby. He does his own reloading of his own ammunition, and uh, he fires uh, guns that make a lot of noise um, downrange a thousand yards to where the four-inch target is barely visible to the human eye. And so he explained to me that all the variables that go into it uh, have to be taken into account, and he, he took me into his room where he's loading his, his guns, and he shows me the gunpowder. He says, if bullet number A hits the mark, and bullet B has three more grains of gunpowder, they're about the size of a grain of sugar, he says, just two or three more grains of gunpowder in that load will make me miss the mark on the next shot. That's how tight it is. And isn't that so much like the truth? It doesn't take a whole lot of imperfection and truth to miss the mark. Jesus says, I am the truth. And as we have seen and heard in Michael's presentation, the solution to cutting through confusion is truth as it is anywhere in the world. And sometimes there are blatant confusions. And there are massive confusions. And we see the need to cut a swath through the vines that confuse our path. But sometimes the confusion is 
slightly less dramatic. It's just a slight variation off-center, much more difficult to discern. So how are we to discern truth except by he who is truth, that being Jesus Christ? And we won't be able to render that truth without knowing him. And I trust that this morning you feel the need to recognize that he is the ultimate source of truth, particularly if you are interested in salvation and the forgiveness of your sins and your acceptance into God's presence. Jesus is the only truth. There's no one else that can offer that to you. And just let me clearly state this morning that if you are not subject to his truth, then you are going to hell because there is no other option. There's no other variations, accommodations for that. And what I would really like to get into with you this morning is that if you are a child of God, if you have asked Jesus Christ for forgiveness and he is at work in your life, then absolute devotion to his truth is your only choice. Otherwise, we're wasting our time. Isaiah brought forth God's word to his people with the very same problem that had existed already for a couple thousand years. And a couple more thousand years went by until Jesus came on the scene and the issue still remained the same. And I propose that 2,000 years later, here in Los Angeles, not Los Angeles, I'm like, here in Los Angeles, um, the problem remains the same as it is in Peru and China and everywhere else. Our acceptance of the truth is not something that we need to argue about, discuss, evoke hours and hours of Facebook back and forth regarding semantics of one particular nature or another. Truth most affects our response to God's commands. And it is, I don't know if you grasped the lyric of that beautiful hymn that was sung to us this morning talking about surrender and Christ's deserving of our surrender. We talk about it. We understand it to some extent. But we all know that for truth to be applied, knowledge is not sufficient. There has to be submission and surrender. And I don't know about you, but that is probably the hardest day-to-day battle that we will ever face until sin is removed from our lives and we are in his presence. Because sin attacks every area of our triune being. God created us in his image. He created us to be a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. And sin is simply the evil attacking each one of those areas. Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And probably the most difficult one for us to manage is the pride of our spirit. And Isaiah says to the people of Israel from the Lord, 
he gives him this message, wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Two issues here. Not interested in performance of some rituals and ceremonies and churchy things and spiritual stuff. How many nice little Bible quotes you put on your Facebook page and a picture of a nice little cute puppy. It says, that's not what I'm interested in. This says, I'm interested in your heart. Do I have your heart? Same issue with Adam. Same issue with Abraham, Moses, the people of Israel, Pharisees, his disciple Peter. He says, Peter, do I really have your heart? Do you love me? Because that's the issue. All the rest of the nonsense we can deal with. Wrong decisions, mistakes, errors in judgment, even bad doctrine. It can be dealt with. Now, later, don't worry, Paul will be there to straighten you out when you, you know, have problems with the circumcision, this and that nonsense. That's not the issue. What I need to know is, do I have your heart? He says his complaint to Israel was his, their heart is removed. Notice, nobody else removed their heart. He says, look very carefully, they have removed their heart. They turned away. Nobody else can do that for you. Where your heart is focused, it's your choice. It's my choice, what we love. That's part of the autonomous free will that God implanted in us. So it's our choice where our heart is focused. And then it says, their fear towards me is taught by the precept of men. They have submitted to somebody else's version of who I am and what I am. And they fear me with a twisted mind. <laughs> they fear me in a warped fashion. They don't understand me. Their respect for me and their, their fear towards me and, and what they consider me to be, says the Lord, it's warped. It's been taught by precepts of men. That's, that's not my teaching. They are not fearing me. They're not respecting me. They're not reverencing me the way I taught them to. But it got twisted. It got warped by humanistic ideology. This is what God is really about. And because it sounds so nice, it's hard to tell sometimes. It's just far enough off the line of truth to miss the mark at the target. And so we have to be challenged as in so many different parts of the world is happening today. We need to teach the truth. And the truth has to cut through, whether it be massively obvious confusion, or whether it be a very polished and palatable, slightly off version of the truth. 
We need to be able to tell the difference. In Peru today, um, the generational gap is so classic and, and massive where mom and dad hardly finished elementary school, and yet children are pounding away at their DSL-enabled computers and accessing scads of information that their parents have no clue about, uh, coming up with all this really great-sounding, sometimes, um, doctrine and teaching. Oh, I got this great website. It's got you know, Bible quotes and everything. And, and it says, and, and they prattle on with, with some content, and maybe there's just one little thing in there that, wait a minute, hold on. But they're not prepared to see that. They're not, they don't have the capability of discernment to, to understand how that particular principle um, is just a little bit off. And of course, there are the you know, enormous giant amounts of, of, of error and uh, massive disdain for scripture and so on that's out there, a little easier to spot maybe. But the generational and technological gap is so uh, large in Peru that uh, it is difficult to sometimes get a handle on how do we go about this. When uh, Carol and I, uh, after much prayer, decided to embark on this new project back in 2006, 2007, we basically had a blank canvas to work with. This is something new. Um, how do we believe God's truth could best yield results? If we were to start from scratch, we, you know, started penciling out ideas and concepts and um, what we see today is a, the beginnings of what the Lord is leading us to do in building a new assembly on foundational New Testament church principles, on utilizing the truth of the gospel to reach lives, utilizing tools, resources, such as the children's home, to take some of the most rejected of Peru civilization, some children that are abandoned at birth, as uh, you saw in the video, others that have been abused and neglected and, and rejected by their families. Um, we have uh, a little boy, 10 years old, and his four-year-old sister come to us in uh, such inhumane conditions. They were, were barely... Um, nourished. Uh, at 10 years old, he had never been to school, didn't know how to read. Um, the little girl, Rosita, was so neglected at four years old, she didn't even know how to talk. Um, they had been basically corralled uh, out in the sticks and the boonies back behind their cottage. Their parents, uh, father alcoholic, the mother mentally unstable, barely even cared for them. There, uh, we we're expecting to see quick progress, and, and we did with them as they, they got deloused and cleaned up and washed, and they started scarfing as much food as they could as soon as they got to the table because um, they were afraid it might go away. And uh, finally, they settled down after a few days and realized that you know they could take their time. And uh, about a month later, the authorities sent us their 13-year-old 
sister who had a, a year previously given birth to twin girls. Um, and situations like that uh, really confront us with the issue that um, the lack of truth just opens the gates of hell for evil. And we begin to understand a little more clearly what Second Thessalonians uh, talks about as far as the, the staying power, the presence of the Spirit here on earth, that when he is removed, there will be nothing to hold back evil. And so it, it's, it's definitely clear in some of those situations. Um, and yet, how to go about changing their lives uh, isn't really complicated. We use that resource to touch these lives and we were thrilled to hear uh, shortly after we left Peru on, on September 5th, just uh, the following week, we got an email from uh, the house parent there at Morningstar that um, Rosita, the 13-year-old, uh, and Edgar, the 10-year-old boy, had both accepted Christ as their Savior. Uh, we are truly blessed to be able to say that all the children that have come through Morningstar and have left... Uh, in the age of understanding where they could make a decision, they have all left having accepted Christ as their Savior. So there is an impact made directly in their lives and in their futures. Uh, but we wanted to be able to reach the community as well and therefore felt moved to utilize education as a means to do so. And to reach those families uh, in a more midterm process to where we could see students come under the sound of the word in a Christian educational environment where they would hear the gospel every day. And, and that is working. We see many students um, throughout the year, one by one, accept Christ as their Savior. Um, and we know that their lives are going to be changed down the road. And yet our goal is to reach into their families through them so that as the families begin to see the light of the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ, then they can begin to make an impact in their community, and the community begins to change. And the authorities uh, in their recent political campaigns for mayor uh, made mention of that work that is going on in that little corner of that town of about 40,000 people uh, as they were speaking of you know, the good that they were doing, they, of course, wanted to sidle up and, you know, get splashed with some of what's going on there. And they go, you know, look at, look at what's happening over here in this corner of town where uh, there's a school and then this children's home and then this church there. And look how the families are being affected in that neighborhood and how much better off they are because truth is beginning to change lives. And... It is difficult to look into Scripture without beginning to question ourselves because there are two concepts that I would like to yank your chain about today. So bear with me, and uh, this might be a little bumpy. Throughout the development of any society, we develop terminology. That terminology is defined by our beliefs. And then in turn, we teach the terminology which we trust 
will carry the same message. But that's not always the case, because sometimes when we have adopted an understanding of a word, um, and then we teach that word, thinking that it's carrying that understanding, then uh, sometimes our children don't get the same message. Good example, real quick off the top of my head. My mother would describe a party that she went to. She says, oh, it was such a gay party. She was not talking about what we understand that word to mean today. Trust me. She was talking about how happy it had been. Uh, However, sometimes the word morphs. And throughout the development of the body of Christ, we have adopted terminology that may not be exactly what Scripture had in mind. Our brother Bob pointed out that CMML is devoted to the application of New Testament church principles with regards to missions. And so I want to challenge you on two terms today. The word missions and the word missionary. That's what the conference is about. And so therefore, I want to ask you, what is foreign missions especially? Well, brother, it's, you see, it's when you leave your home and, and, and you go somewhere else and be a missionary. Um, you, you cross a political boundary. You cross a border, geography. You get your passport stamped. Then you can become a foreign missionary. Well, that's leaving me a little bit confused because you probably think of me as being a foreign missionary. But I'm serving the Lord in my home country because I was born in Peru and I'm Peruvian. So where does that leave me? I guess I'm not going to be in this year's missionary handbook maybe. Uh, (laughs) So I'm not a foreign missionary. There are other criteria you understand. But I, I challenge you to think about missions the way God thinks because remember what Isaiah said, if we allow our precepts, our concepts of God uh, to be misapplied, then maybe we end up thinking not much like God. So let's look over at Philippians chapter 3, verse that I know most of you know by heart already. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, For your citizenship is from heaven. And we'll talk more about this later when it comes to developing the principles of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? If God is the king and it is his kingdom that we are developing and growing towards, what is his kingdom? How does he see the world? We see it very clearly. We see boundaries and, and political borders and nationalities and passports and ethnicities. Sometimes we'll even build walls along the border in hopes that that might deter the mixing of countries and keep everybody in their place. And uh, whatever the case may be, we have a very nationalistic view, don't we? And depending on what part of the country you're from, how strongly you feel about your neighbors, um, you know, and, and how you go about expressing it, the bottom line is, it's us and them, right? And so we here in the United States of America... You know, um, in in our assemblies, we feel that we have a need 
to go reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and therefore we define foreign missions. And you can be involved in missions if you are willing to go somewhere. And uh, if you want to get really radical, you go visit Micah, and uh, you will know very quickly whether you have, you know, what it takes uh, to trek through uh, Micah. Have you ever visited you? See, I, I don't even dare. Uh, <laughs> as long as he's been in the jungle, I've never gone to visit him. I couldn't put up with that. I couldn't do what he does. Um, and, and that's, uh, in a way, it, it, it uh, illustrates my point is that we have a tendency to isolate the various areas that can be called missions and say, okay, uh, we hope that two or three people that come today would get interested in missions out there somewhere. China, Ukraine, Romania, Peru. Um, And so maybe somebody would be willing to go. Uh, first of all, I don't think that that's the way that God sees the world. He says through the Apostle Paul, our citizenship is in heaven. Why? Because we are saints. Why are we saints? We are members of his kingdom. We have accepted his terms of salvation, and we have come to understand that he is sovereign in our lives, and therefore, we must then see the world the way God sees it. He sees people, and there's two kinds. There's ones who are in his kingdom, and the ones who are Not yet in his kingdom. He really doesn't care today. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not politically motivated when I say this. God is not interested in Christian nations today. That's not his point. That's not where he's going with this whole thing. doesn't matter if the the nation, uh, you know, uh, proclaims God or not. As far as soteriology is concerned, it has nothing to do with salvation, whether or not you're born in a Christian or non-Christian nation that... God just really don't see him caring a lot about it. What I see him caring about is the spreading of truth through the gospel of his son and reaching borderless countries. It's called the world. There's a bunch of people in it. And they're either, <laughs> they're either in his kingdom or they're not. It doesn't matter what their passport says. It doesn't matter what their nationality is. So why is that? applicable. It's because you don't really have to go anywhere. I'm not trying to shoot myself in the foot here. You, you don't have to go anywhere outside your circumference, your community, to have a mission field. Okay? The way God sees it, the whole planet's a mission field. That tack, attaching the word foreign is kind of beguiling and misleading because it, it makes us believe right where we are that all that stuff doesn't apply to us. We don't have to get involved because, yeah, I'm not getting a passport. I'm not getting it stamped. I'm not getting on no plane or boat and going somewhere to preach the gospel. I choose not to be involved in missions. I'm going to do something else. Well, if you understand, if you think that missions is only out there, then sure, that's an option. But if you understand that that God doesn't see the world that way. For him, it's just all one big pile of people. Um, Either they're in his kingdom or there's not. And so that means that (laughs) missions is right where you are. It's across the street. It's at your workplace. It's at your school. It's in your family. 
missions is global. And that means it's where you are today. So you have a responsibility to be involved in missions. You can't get away from it because it has come to your doorstep today. It has come to you and you are in a mission field because that's the way God sees the world. The other term that I like to kind of shoot at a little bit today is the word missionary. (laughs) Because, uh, and let's, for this, uh, given the time constraints, I want to choose one that will deal very closely and very quickly with our sentiment. So let's, Go to the Ephesians chapter 4, if you will. And I want to just briefly read those first few verses that are so familiar to us. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye were called. Okay? With all lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, one Spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. For many years, I thought of missionaries, my parents were the first example of which I thought were really special people. And so I had this term in my mind, missionaries. Oh yeah, I was, you know, my parents are missionaries. And so to me that meant that they were, they were kind of like one of the army's special ranger units, you know, um, special commando Christians. And they went and did some really funky stuff. And, and, and Micah, you're not helping me with your video here because it does look pretty weird. But um, <laughs> I, I had this concept that missionaries were, you know, really special people until I became one. And then I realized that, no, we're not special at all. It's just us. Um, and I believe that as we look at Scripture, we may have added a little something that maybe thrown us just a little bit off the mark. Because my Bible, um, and we read just one passage to sustain this, is that you and I have no difference between us. You and me and Micah have no variation and no distinction. Amy's not even any different than us or Carol, or anybody else you know, Craig, Robert, anybody else involved in missions. Uh, The scripture does not make any distinction between you and I. And so there are no such things as special commando Christians out doing the work of the Lord on the farm field, and they are there because there's something special about them. Uh, There's not. We are all one in Christ. We are all been called with the same vocation. We are all been baptized by the same spirit. It is one body. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. 
So what's the difference? Why are we giving certain people this distinction and thinking, oh, well, <laughs> oh, thank the Lord I don't have to you know, do any of that stuff because I'm not a missionary. See, I'm just regular G.I. Joe. I'm not special forces. So I don't have to get up early or I don't have to do any of the special workouts or you know, any of that stuff because I haven't been called to the ranger team, you know, so... Um, and I don't know if you noticed I slipped it in right past you there. How many of you have been called to be a missionary? Oh, a few. Oh, thank you, sister. You're right. There is no such thing in Scripture as a calling to missions. Yeah, you heard me right. Christ never called anybody to be a missionary. He called disciples. He called us to follow him. He said, you, come here, follow me. Even in the most exaggerated sense of he could take Paul's conversion as a calling of a missionary because he did eventually become what we label a missionary, um, the calling wasn't to that. The calling was to following Jesus Christ. And that was accomplished the moment that he looked up to the Lord and said, Lord, what will you have me to do? That's the calling. Submission to the Lord's will. Where the Lord commands you to go and live and serve and, and procreate or whatever it has that he has for you, that's axiomatic. That, that, you know, who cares about that stuff? That will become self-evident. But I believe that we have, are facing the danger today and the, maybe this reason we have this sense of, or need for revival in this aspect is because we may have inherently and unintentionally created this generation that believes that there are only a few certain special people that somehow in, I don't know, 3, 4 a.m. in the morning got this undescribable twitching or something that they interpreted, oh, God must be calling me to Congo. I had Congonese food once, and I loved it, so I must be, you know, that must be the place. I'm sorry, I don't see it in Scripture, and I have read a little bit about it, and I cannot find. So maybe if you can enlighten me over lunch, um, do so, please. But in Scripture, I cannot find anywhere where the calling refers to a particular ass assignment. What I find is a calling to surrender, as we heard today. Once Christ has you surrendered, he can do with you whatever he pleases. See, then there's no discussion about where you go to school, who you marry, when you marry, when you graduate, what your career choice is, how much you put into your 401k, what age to retire at, whether you retire or not. 
none of that really matters, because if we are surrendered, then our first instinct at every turn in the road is, Lord, what will you have me to do? And he says, okay, turn right. See, even, even after he's placed you in Peru, he might change you of locations, or he might change drastically what you're doing. You know, there was a time where, uh, you know, I, I had pulled over four, 5,000 teeth, and then the Lord said, okay, you're done. I don't need you to pull any more teeth. I need you to give your tools away to somebody else. I've got something else for you in mind. Um, that, all those details, all those choices um, are not our choice. If we would just surrender and give up the arguing, and we wouldn't have this dilemma. Because it's in that moment of surrender that we in, then understand what he's saying. We are all the same. We are all his children, one vocation that we are supposedly to walk in and walk worthy of. That's surrender to Jesus Christ. Where he takes you, it doesn't matter. Remember, he's not looking at borders. He's not looking at passports and boundaries. And, and therefore, there's no competitiveness in our merit system because you taking time because the Lord told you to, to set aside three to four hours a day to pray is just as important as, you know, getting Micah up that river or getting that child taken care of at midnight who, you know, was left on a, on a pile of rubble. Uh, it, that, it doesn't, there is no more or less importance on any of it. And we glorify sometimes these, you know, individuals that come through, oh, the missionaries coming to, well, they used to back in the day. But, uh, you know, it, it's, um, it really makes a lot more sense if we think the way God thinks. Because he only sees one type of child of his. There's one who's being obedient, and there's one who's giving him flack. There's one who's digging in and saying, no, don't want to. Or, uh, yeah, yeah, just a minute, I'll be right there. You know, we see that in our kids. That's, you know, easy flags of disobedience. You know, there's the, the totally rebellious one that'll stomp his foot and say, no, until finally his brother comes along and teaches him how to lie and how to be sneaky, you know, and then it's like, yeah, 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 I'll do it, I'll do it. And, you know, those are the two examples Christ used. So it's biblical. It's right there in the parable. You know, father had two sons. One said, yes, 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 I'll go, and never did. The other said, no, I don't want to, and then ended up doing it. Um, and so God sees his children in that light. There's those uh, willing to submit and say, Yes, Lord, whatever you have me to do. It removes all categorization, all preparation. It removes all our pre-qualifications to do here, there, or anywhere. We're just being obedient. And whom he calls, he enables, and he prepares. And trust me, I had no clue. If you told me 30 years ago that, you know, I was doing what I was doing, yeah, I said, you're nuts. I don't even have a college degree. How do you expect me to do that? It doesn't matter. God is going to call you. He's going to enable you. He's going to empower you. All he's asking is just obedience. Walk worthy of the vocation. Do you belong to God? Then you've been called. You've been called 
with vocation. You have been called to obedience. You have been called to serve Him. That's all. That's all He's asking this morning. You are a missionary. You are to walk worthy of the vocation where which you have called. You have been placed on this earth to heed the command. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Are you doing it? Because that's the command. It's not a calling, it's a command. We are called to vocation, we are called to obedience. From there on in, the command is given, go. At that point, the only qualification is start in Jerusalem, move to Judea, then to Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Has that worked? We are the uttermost parts of the earth. We are the opposite side of, his, of Jerusalem. Okay, But there are still plenty of places where the gospel has not yet been effective. Anybody in your family yet to be saved? Anybody at your workplace yet to be saved? Anybody in your school? Down your street? then there are places yet to go. And we need to get cracking. Because the Lord's coming. And, it, you know, yeah, it's great to have that ticket into heaven in your back pocket. But it's kind of stingy not to share the news with others. And so I would like to challenge us this morning as we are in this missions conference that you are here because you are a missionary. Maybe you hadn't defined it that way in your mind. But you were called with vocation. And we are exhorted and admonished to walk worthy of it. You and I are just alike. We're children of God if you have accepted Christ as your Savior. There's nothing special about me, trust me. Um, and as weird as he is, there's nothing really unusual about Micah. Um, and, and, you know, we're just trying to serve the Lord a day at a time. And we face family challenges just like you do. You know, my wife yells at me and smacks me around, you know, just like yours does. No, she doesn't. I'm just kidding. No, just kidding. We, we do have issues. We have problems. We have kids, a couple of them quite far from the Lord right now. You know, it's just another day until he comes. Challenges, um, no different. Can be in a different country, in different economies, speak a different language. The human heart is the same. And the problem is the same. It's sin. And so our problems in our personal lives, sin. The problems in our ministry, sin. The challenges we face in, in trying to reach people, sin. The solution to that, truth. The solution to my problems, truth. Yours, truth. Doesn't matter what currency you're paying your bills in. Doesn't matter what language you're speaking to communicate. The, the, the content is all the same. We have sin attacking truth. And we have truth to cut through the sin. It's the word of God. The sword of the spirit. So I invite you this morning to challenge yourself realize that you may have been hoodwinked to come into this missions conference. You walk away and go, fortunately, I don't have to go to Peru. You know, no. You have to go wherever God sends you, and it may be right around the corner, which is a scary thing, because as soon as you get back, that corner's there, and you have no good excuse not to go around it. And that person that needs the gospel 
You don't have to worry about, well, five years from now, I'll have to go preach. No, it's going to be today. God's going to bring somebody across your path today, tomorrow, that needs to hear it. And you're on the hook. You, you know, you can't leave it to special commando forces anymore. It's you. You've got the message. And you're empowered. You have the spirit. And you have the word of God in your hand. And you have the vocation you were called with. And let's get busy. Clock's a ticking. He's coming. And we need to get, get moving, get real. Because we are all missionaries and we are all in a mission field. And yeah, I like to, you know, trump up some interest and it, I don't need to do that. Because God knows if we need anybody else in Chiclayo. And God knows if Micah needs anybody else in Tarapoto. And God knows if, you know, somebody's needed in China. What we can't control that. He knows. And what he alone can do is give orders. The rub comes when people who are listening to the orders aren't obedient. So I'm just going to leave it at that. We have a vocation we were called with. All I'm asking this morning, surrender. If, if this morning you will surrender your will, your, your choice-making to God, next time I come, who knows? Maybe I'll find you here, maybe I won't. Maybe God will choose to move you geographically. Maybe he'll choose to change your careers. Maybe he'll choose to, you know, um, whatever. That's in his hands. I'm not sweating the details. But if you surrender, he's going to change something. Otherwise, you know, what would the difference be? But if you do surrender, there will be changes. And those changes will bring about glory to him. And we'll, the kingdom will grow. And when he returns, he will be pleased and be willing to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So that is what we are all anxious to hear. May God bless his word this morning.